Hi, I'm Katie Yale, the Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources Magazine, and thank you so much for joining us here with I Hear Design, an INS podcast. So one of the things that I absolutely love about my job and one of the things that we wanted to do with starting this podcast was to invite our readers in on the everyday conversations that we have. Uh, Oftentimes they just, I like to say that it's a bunch of design geeks geeking out. And so when I went to the All Steel uh, headquarters out in uh, Muscatine, Iowa, and Right away, we just started in on the conversation, and there was never really a time in which it was appropriate to kind of stop and say, like, okay, let's let's start from the beginning, um, because immediately we jumped into such great conversations. Uh, and so this podcast was the conversation between Jan Johnson, the VP of Design and Workplace Resources, and Brandon Sieben, uh, the president of All Steel. Um, and like I said, immediately we started chatting, we were getting coffee and just kind of hanging out and talking and launched right into the conversation. So I absolutely love the way that this conversation turned out. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about office resources, talking about what's happening in workplace design. Um, and I really hope that you enjoy it as well. ...in place and build it out. At occupancy, and then it didn't really fundamentally change very much mm-hmm. over the course of that month. That is just not the case anymore. Businesses mm-hmm. are moving at a much different pace, and there's many things like growth and shrinking and getting a new market or a merger acquisition, or just things change, or they mm-hmm. sell themselves, or whatever. You know, that the, the, the business cycles are shorter and shorter and shorter. So I think we're getting that push from clients. I think both, frankly, in good times like we're having now, but even in recessions, is how do they and I use the word agile, how do they make themselves more agile? Mm-hmm. How, do they, how do they think about the way they're building out their space to make sure that they can repurpose things, they can you know, change the grow without growth and mm-hmm. all those sorts of stuff. So I think it's as much tied to business change as it is to economic realities. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when I was a young designer, we were busier during downturns because everybody was getting rid of space or consolidating mm-hmm. or thinking about it differently. And then in boom times, they're willing to spend and you know, they're, they're trying to catch up with what their competitors are doing. And so it, it can, growth or work for us can happen in both down and up cycles. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, to your point, it's, it's being ready for the next thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what more companies are doing some pre-planning to put in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd love to, to chat more about um, what that's even going to look like because I, I don't know I really think that this open closed office is not the right thing and that especially as technology changes we're going to be saying just huge changes in in the office place yeah so I think um if you t- if we think about what's happening in general we sort of you know talk amongst ourselves about a couple things one is kind of the overall consumerization of the office is it's a lot less institutional it's a lot less sort of one-size-fits-all because facilities finds it easier to manage. Um, it's not so much about managing the supply of space. Mm-hmm. It's really, I think, shifted to understanding the demands of the workforce. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a, like, spoiled kid kind of demand. I mean in terms of what are they doing? You know, how are they going to work? What, what are the sort of new social norms that the societal changes have wrought? Like, do I have more autonomy and choice over where I work, when I work, how I work? And we're seeing those kinds of things driving 
um, uh, our expectations have changed, that we, we should have more say over how we spend our time and where we spend our time. And I should be free to move about the office to the space that's most conducive to me. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're seeing that, plus the aesthetic has changed. You know, so, so you know, I think it's a question of, um, you know, you, we, you mentioned um, in, our, in some of the stuff we talked about before this about the residential thing and how long that's, that term has been around and, um, you know, it's part of that same social change is if it's less institutional, then it should look a lot less institutional. It should mm -hmm. be more inviting and human and warm and comforting and all those things are the case. Um, so I think that's here to stay and I think we're going to continue to see more of it. Um, I think we're also trying to make sure we understand how people are responding to things differently. Like it's really tempting as a designer, since I used to be when I can say this, to, to do something that looks good in 2D and, and think about like where we put things like soft seating and I mean I used to use plants when I was a really young designer. That was where you kind of put the awkward corner, we put a plant there. Mm -hmm. And now it's like we tend to put soft seating over there and, and that may or may not actually be the best place for it. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've learned, you know, what kind of works and what doesn't work mm -hmm. in, in that way. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think that's, a, you know, that's interesting to, um, and I just, I'm, I just started recording, so, uh, and we'll just chop it up mm -hmm. once it's. Um, so I think that's really interesting to talk about soft seating and like that use of kind of a, it's becoming so loungy. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, kind of, kind of creating these spaces, especially, you know, like off in the corner kinds of, of spaces. Um, do you think that we're really seeing people using those spaces or is it more of an aesthetic, it looks beautiful over there? <laughs> well, I think when it's done well, and we think about where it's actually on the floor plan, because we've, we've, you know, our product development team does a lot of observational stuff. We spend a lot of time in the field watching how people use space. And, and, it's, and, and the science can tell you the same thing, is um, people won't sit in a place that feels like they're in the middle of Grand Central Station. Mm -hmm. um, although maybe that's a bad analogy, because there's so many people milling around that you mm -hmm. sort of do have a cone of privacy because so many people are just going past you. But, but if somebody's in a major corridor, we're not going to see success in putting a space there for people to talk. Mm -hmm. um, it's too it's too public, mm -hmm. and so um, we we know it matters about where you put it. We know it matters sort of how it, if we create a sense of enclosure. And so we have products that try to do that, and and even if it's not fully soundproof, at least it creates a sense of space within a space. Um, and I think there's also a certain amount of aesthetic that is important though too. It needs to look comfortable, it needs to look inviting, it needs to look compelling, you mm -hmm. know, so I think that's equally part of the thing we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to understand both sort of human nature, the nature of the activities that the, that the firm does or the organization does so that we get those right and we kind of try to have the highest, most comfortable aesthetic. But you know, it's things like beanbag chairs work in some kind of companies, but they're really hard to get in and out. Yeah. <laughs> And how indelicate might I look, especially if I show up in a skirt? So, you know, mm -hmm. there's things that are just sort of, in some cases, quite normal and in other situations, maybe not so appropriate. And I think we're still finding our way through some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I had one size certainly does not fit all. Mm -hmm. I think it, 
always is dependent upon the customer strategy, what they're trying to get done in their business for the customers they serve. That informs what the right workplace strategy is and the application of products across that strategy. So in some cases, the beanbag chair is very appropriate. In some cases, it's not. Very much like mm -hmm. lots of products that sort of come and go. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, you brought up kind of behaviors as well, and I, it made me think of, um, you know, so many people want partitions because they feel like I'm not allowed to do, like, I'm going on Facebook and I don't want my boss to know, you know, like, but we're seeing things like social media becoming more okay in, mm -hmm. in offices. Do you think that might have any impact on the kind of privacy people want, or is it kind of a more broad idea of privacy that people are looking for? I, I think it is broader, because I think there's a, a definitely a human need in, in certain situations to want that sense of privacy. I mean, it's a, it's a basic thing that we need from time to time. I think part of it is, yeah, what's the motivation behind it? A little bit is 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 it because people think they're going to get frowned on if they happen to check their Facebook posts? Mm -hmm. You know, but that's in some cases could be actually supportive of the business activity. Mm -hmm. So part of it is understanding what's actually conducive to me building rapport with my teammates, which is a really important thing. We have research that can tell you that social cohesion amongst teams is the highest and most important thing that correlates to knowledge, worker productivity. Mm -hmm. So why would we want to shut that down when we could support it? Mm -hmm. But it may look different from one organization to another, from one boss to another. And so part of this is also bringing along management to say, oh, no, that's, that's actually an acceptable behavior. You're not going to get the hairy eyeball for, mm -hmm. for doing that. But privacy is still something that, you know, if I'm going to call my doctor and get my kids' test results, I don't, I mean, I, 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 want to, I don't want to subject you to that. Mm -hmm. And I want to have, be able to ask weird questions in the privacy of a conversation. So there's definitely reasonable examples of when that's really important. Mm -hmm. The question is, what else am I attaching to the notion of privacy? Is it about control, that I can keep people from interrupting me? Is it about status? Am I getting a private office because I see that as a status symbol inside this culture, inside this organization, and so I want one too? You know, so there's a lot of things to try to tear apart or unpack, I should say, you know, to figure out what's really going on and how are people assigning meaning to the things that we're creating or thinking about. And mm -hmm. So I think we're very sensitive to make sure we try to understand all those nuances as thoroughly as we do the kinds of activities they engage in. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think, you know, partitions have sort of become this anti-corporate thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to avoid the partition. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the partition actually has a really important function and is very efficient when mm -hmm. it comes to workplace planning. And when I think about privacy, for me, I translate that to the function and to the individual's ability to focus. And that leads to productivity and getting you know, work done. Mm -hmm. And so it, there's a broad spectrum. I think there are certain functions that require privacy because of the nature of the work, whether it's mm -hmm. HR or accounting or engineering. There are functions that require head down individual focus time like creative types marketing and engineering that really warrant the need for a partition mm -hmm. and whether it's a large footprint or a small footprint i think if we can drive it to something that gets 
a business objective or a workplace objective accomplished for a customer, then it's the right thing to do. It may be the best way to get that accomplished. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, absolutely. Do we need an 80 inch high partition? Do we need a bench? You know, what's the, what's the relationship between individual and team-based work and how does that lead to collaboration, which ultimately ladders up to productivity in the workplace? And there's a balance there. And, you know, we've found that balance over the years at Allsteel, and we've overcorrected each way multiple times. Mm-hmm. So there is no right or wrong way to do it. But there, there is an impact. I don't really think the majority of workers think about privacy because they want to do something that's sort of outside the lines at work, whether it's social media or doing personal things at work, I really do think it mostly ties to their ability to get work done, their mm-hmm. job mm-hmm. function completed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that's so interesting about that and this idea that it, you know, the, the experience needs to be customizable to individuals is that I, I don't know how many people actually know what their work, their like what they're like when they're working. You know, like I know because I'm way overly aware of of things like that. Like when I'm able to work, and you know, if people are. I have to have my back to my door because if I see anyone walking by, I get really distracted. And um, well, other people need that, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and so it, yeah, the the partitions also it's very. I mean, I'm I'm short. You know, I can't see over any of the partitions at my at at work. Meanwhile, other people can see over them just fine. And you know, like yeah. you don't realize my boss, who's like six three, is going to be saying like, "Oh, hey, what are you guys doing over there?" You know, because half our team can't see over them and half can. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you think is going to be then happening in offices and and kind of where will it be moving? I think the trajectory is is sort of what we just talked what you just mm-hmm. asked about in a sense is I think we're learning again more about sort of how people respond to certain stuff and we know there's a huge amount of variety. And so I think we're getting frankly more pluralistic, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we're thinking about creating that sense of variety so that you can do what you need to do and Sam can do what Sam needs to do and Joe can do what Joe needs to do because mm-hmm. that's different. The hard part is how do we balance that? Because we used to we used to sort of one size fits all was hugely popular. It's hugely popular still in, San, in, in Silicon Valley for example mm-hmm. um, because it's easy to manage and it makes those things repurposable. Mm-hmm. You know I can just move stuff around and I have a, a new situation. So there's a huge amount of Trade-offs, we have to think through all the time. I think design community has to think through, clients have to think through a lot, is what benefit do we have in sort of standardizing on, say, the, the, the Legos we're going to use in the office to mm-hmm. build everything so that we can make sure they're interchangeable, that we can create new combinations, that we can let you move things around yourself. You know, what? If, but then again, it could be chaos if there isn't some kind of guardrails to it and mm-hmm. help people to kind of understand what they could do with it, you know, and, and see some of the possibilities so that they're not being asked to become designers who need to know everything about it so they can use it all wisely. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's challenging to kind of figure out where the white sort of sweet spot is in there between giving people as much choice as we can give them, but also keeping it into some kind of controlled 
structure that we've kind of predetermined. So mm -hmm. I think part of our job is, as designers, as, as workplace strategists, is to almost be systems thinkers. That mm -hmm. we're designing a, an ecosystem in which various things are easy to have it happen. Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I tell a quick story? Oh, go for it. So <laughs> when I was an, a young consultant, and some of the people that may be listening to this have heard mm -hmm. the story, and if that's the case, I apologize for repeating it, but it's a great story. So young consultant, newly minted, I get to my clients in microsystems. Um, I'm on site for a couple of years there, and, and they tell me, like, in the second week I'm there, that they have an intranet. And on the intranet, any employee of Sun Microsystems, like 65,000 of them, can go online and order furniture for their office. Now, I appreciate your listeners can't, but my eyes get big. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can imagine a facilities person would sort of start to twitch, and, and it's like my expression, I'm, I'm sure reflected abject horror mm -hmm. and they said oh if that's your reaction clearly you don't get it I said you've got to be kidding me here's my chance to be your hero as your newly minted consultant that's a terrible idea let's fix that and they said no 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 you don't understand we are very happy with that schema I said well please explain how that could be a good thing and they said well first of all you didn't hear the internet you heard the intranet mm -hmm. it's our own internal site it only has six things on it mm -hmm. so it's a very controlled set of options um, and it's, it's things that are already part of what we would typically put in a private office here. Because mm -hmm. at that point, they were 100% private office. And so it's like a ladder, a file, a bookcase, a desk chair, a, desk, you know, a guest chair, a small table, binder bin. Six things. Mm -hmm. Second, Joe's boss sees at the end of every month what Joe ordered. So if Joe's doing something surreptitiously and taking some things home and selling them on eBay, it may take us a week or two to figure it out because this was analog and not digital. But we'll go have a little chat with Joe. Mm -hmm. Third, we don't think there are that many Joes in the general population. We subscribe to a sociological principle called 95.5, which says 95% of the population tends to do the right thing. It's only 5% that's kind of the criminal element that's going to be tempted to game us. And then we did the math. If 5% of our population sort of cheats us for a little while or abuses this, this right, then that costs us you know, X. And if we hire the three furniture police you're telling us we need, that's going to cost us 2X. Mm -hmm. And we don't think it makes good economic sense. And we think it sends the wrong message to our employees that you're children and we don't trust you. Mm -hmm. And finally, these are not high ticket items in the larger scheme of things. They're relatively inexpensive. If that employee, because they feel loved and supported, spends five more minutes a day in discretionary effort, that lateral file will pay for itself in about a week. Mm -hmm. So back off. Yeah. <laughs> Now, fast forward. So that was huge. Yeah. Fast forward. Facebook, some of your listeners may know all this, has vending machines on, on every floor, not filled with food or drink. They're filled with computer peripherals, wireless keyboards, thumb drives, battery pads, et cetera. Exact same idea. Mm -hmm. Somebody decided what to make available in that delivery system. Somebody at Facebook figured out they want these things to be available that way. You have to swipe your badge to vend. There's a digital record of anything you take out of there. If they see some weird pattern, someone's going to come find you. Mm -hmm. But why not? It saves, it's cheaper, it saves just aggravation from having to get my boss's approval, getting procurement to order it, waiting for it to show up, waiting for somebody to remember to bring it to me. No, I just literally walk over there and get it. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's the way we should be thinking about lots of things. So I go back and say it's giving people as much choice as we can give them, but within a controlled set. Mm -hmm. And if we can get that right, I think that's what we're going to continue to see more of. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second piece about where things are going is just, again, that much more of this built-in flexibility you alluded to earlier. is is just simpler to make those kinds of changes. Mm -hmm. I think the third piece is kind of what I've already sort of said, is 
let people mess with stuff. Mm -hmm. They want to anyway. It's, it's their own expectations from the experiences that we have in the world these days with Netflix and on demand and you know all the things that you can do technologically. We are going to bring those expectations to the office. Why not? Mm -hmm. Given the two stories I just told, why not? Mm -hmm. You know, as long as we've created sort of the, the guardrails in which this whole thing can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of to Brandon's earlier point, a lot of that is determined by the organization. Mm -hmm. What do they find acceptable and tolerable and what are they trying to do and, you know, how are they going to manage the cost structure of something like that? And, you know, we have a, we have a particular client who's over-invested in the infrastructure in the ceiling. HVAC is denser, sprinkler heads are denser, light fixtures are on sort of longer cords so they can plug and play and move them around because they churn so aggressively mm -hmm. throughout the year. They need a tremendous amount of flexibility. They want to be able to slap a room up in overnight and not have to mess with HVAC. Mm -hmm. So they paid more to make sure they've got that level of flexibility already built into the space so they can make that change whenever they want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more of that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and a few things I, w I would add, just put a couple fine points on what I think we can expect just in terms of themes. I think change is one big constant. We're mm -hmm. going to continue to see change and, and have, really, I think how people want to work will continue to change and we've talked about multiple generations in the workplace the reality is half or more of the boomers are out or mm -hmm. phasing out and the millennials are up and the way boomers want to work and the way millennials want to work is oftentimes completely different and so mm -hmm. the decision makers that are going to drive what goes into the workplace and where the business heads are are going to drive or accelerate that change I believe I think the second area just related to change is we're going to see continued advancement and capability. The customer is getting smarter. The vendors that help customers or the consultants that help customers solve for business and workplace strategy, including furniture product, everybody's getting smarter. And that, that's going to put a lot, a lot more expectation, I believe, on the furniture to do more. You know, your example of it used to be a room that did one thing. Now mm -hmm. the room may do two or three things. And so the furniture is going to need to do more than it has in the past, be more flexible, be simpler to reconfigure, to adapt, those kind of things. I think on the other hand, continuity still has a huge benefit and standardization is efficient. And so oftentimes change and continuity, those things lead to competing priorities. And so those things will have to be reconciled, I believe, in terms of customer strategy because Continuous change, just for the sake of change, is cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. A company and can't, chaos. Yeah, and chaos. <laughs> company can't reset their floor plan every one to two years, even though the cycles are getting shorter and shorter. And continuity oftentimes provides cost control. So I think we have seen and will continue to see a lot more coordination and integration across business functions, customer functions, including, you know, how the real estate firms, the design firms, the dealers and the manufacturers, you know, connect to the company's overarching vision and strategy and all to get alignment on what needs to happen day one, year one, year five, mm -hmm. so that we can make the best business decision, get the best return on the investment and continue to adapt to change while getting efficiency through, you know, the spend. Mm -hmm. You know, um 
this this made me think of the um, you know those reports that millennials will bounce jobs quicker than than any other generation um, but also you know so I would see that as an office thinking well if we're gonna have higher turnaround than we used to then why would we want to provide people with unique you know working experiences um, although I also don't know if that has ever really been tied into the fact that millennials are taking longer to get married and settle down and as you have the older millennials now in that age bracket that they are doing that I wonder if we're gonna see that slow down and if that's even worth being that concerned over you know if you have a, an employee who's at that cusp of starting to settle into a job denying them that aspect of, of enjoying their workplace yeah. above and beyond might be detrimental yeah, it could be. I, I think what I've seen, I don't know that the movement across organizations is necessarily isolated to millennials. Mm -hmm. I, I think there is just more movement, which accelerates the shorter cycle because a buyer or a business leader may have a one to three year horizon at a company and then move to a different company. See that much more than I ever have in, in the past. Mm -hmm. I think in, in the case of millennials in particular, what I've seen is more horizontal career pathing versus okay. vertical career pathing. So when I came into corporate America, my focus was to, you know, grow up the corporate ladder, but stay in the same corporation mm -hmm. versus what I see millennials wanting to do is to get more broad-based experience and they're uh, readily and willing and able to move to new corporations much more rapidly. And I think to your point, as they as they get older and have families, they'll maybe settle in. I think what drives a lot of change through that generation is they, they're just incredibly smart and, and incredibly efficient. And it's a challenge for leadership to provide millennials opportunity to continue to stay stimulated in work because they just get the work done faster. Mm -hmm. They use technology more than any other generation. And so I think what will get millennials in a position where they're going to stay longer is when organizations provide them faster, greater challenges and opportunities mm -hmm. to support how they digest work mm -hmm. and their kind of their rate of learning, which is pretty awesome and pretty rapid and yeah. you know, something that we're working on every day as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just to, again, to, to pile onto that is um, everything I've ever heard is when they, they survey people to find out why they stay and why they leave. Staying usually involves two things. Meaningful work mm -hmm. and the opportunity to be recognized for my contribution. And I think those have been the top two for decades. And I don't see those as changing. Um, but I think it's, that's, that's not very nuanced. I think Brandon's answer is more nuanced into, you know, and, and you sort of alluded to it too, different life, different life stages. I'm interested in different things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think it I think even if people are moving around a lot, it frankly then puts more pressure on an organization to attract and retain, right? Mm -hmm. So so we have to do the right thing because it's the right thing and it's a way to, to know we're also contributing to knowledge worker productivity because we know most of those are really about interpersonal dynamics and they matter a ton. And if we're competing for that, that limited talented staff, we have to have our act together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
so I think I, I don't think anybody can can say well they're going to be gone I'm not going to invest I don't I, I can't imagine that that's ever the right strategy mm -hmm. yeah I think um, my mom's a comptroller at her job and she was talking about how I don't think she ever thought this would be the case but there aren't enough accountants in California and so suddenly her job is not just to have a job for her employees but how do you make them want to stay in this place you know and um, mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see how changes in what people are are studying in school how that it's going to change the workplace because you know a lot of people go like oh yeah go into you know don't go into that go into this but then we're not gonna have enough of that <laughs> mm -hmm. and suddenly having to keep those people you know yep. Um, yep. is going to definitely change how that yeah I think the priority too is one area that s supports attraction and retention and I found over the years here and I see this in a lot of companies that we talk to historically the the people strategy is tucked into the business strategy and as a subset and now the I see the people strategy is on plane with the business strategy they're they're interdependent but it's really important to have a very focused high level people strategy that connects to the culture I think the culture especially for the generations coming up matters a lot and it does mm -hmm. drive retention and even the things the the benefits and the amenities that are offered to individuals that have been in the workforce for less than 10 years and what they want very different than people that have been in the workplace 20 or more years and so being flexible and nimble and evolving you know how we execute the business strategy and the people strategy and how you know we think about culture as you know as important mm -hmm. likely more important than the strategy that we take to market is key mm -hmm. to get the best people and keep the best people and you know at the end of the day in most businesses no people no business mm -hmm. right so it's it's really critical that we continually understand and have the right feedback loop the right talent development programs the right engagement processes in place with all levels of the organization and that the engagement is happening real time mm -hmm. yeah. and I think that's why you see a lot of companies going to more collaborative environments and more flat non-hierarchical structures they're trying to figure out how they connect the organization together like an ecosystem and so the system has a foundation that supports all the different ways people want to work, mm -hmm. even things they want to do that don't relate to the job function. Mm -hmm. You know, fitness or food or volunteering, all, the, volunteering, or, mm -hmm. all these things that become part of an individual's personality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's interesting to talk about the culture. Um, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, last December I was having a conversation with um, a couple of designers and and you know millennials came up and they said you know what we have to worry about is gen z because millennials will buy a bag that says this tote bag saved a you know saved a tree but gen z is coming in and going well yeah all bags could save a tree like why aren't we making it like why isn't that the standard you know mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and i remember you know being in elementary school and that's like oh recycling is now a thing that we have to do you know and and having to but Gen Z's coming up and... Of course we recycle. Yeah, you, 
like, well, why isn't that the norm? Why isn't that the standard? And, and how important culture becomes when you have a generation who was raised hearing, this is what's all possible. And then for them to go out into the, I'm a little nervous for their psyches when they go out <laughs> into the real world and they see that we are not necessarily doing what they've been told that we can do. Um, and how important that culture is. And it'll be, this Gen Z is already, uh, have, they're out there and they're getting their voices heard so loudly. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah businesses are gonna have to listen to that. <laughs> I, I agree, I have, have three, three daughters. And what I've noticed about my daughters, one is they, they do question everything. Mm -hmm. And they're very much about what you said. I mean, master the obvious, all, all companies should be doing X, Y, Z, or this ought to be how it works at home. They also are very clear and direct on what they want. Mm. It's, I, I never wonder what any of my three daughters want mm -hmm. at that moment in time. I don't remember ever talking to my parents like my daughters talked to me. It's a healthy thing. Mm -hmm. I think I see more drive in Generation Z and kids that are growing up now through the system. The, the interesting thing as well, at least in, in our case at home, is kids are they're into so much now. They have so much going on at school, activities, home, social media, that they do seek privacy much more than I think the generation ahead of them or even my generation because they need, time, they need downtime. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I have two in high school, and I'm lucky if I catch them two minutes during the day in the hall on the way to their rooms. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have downtime, and they'll come out and engage. But very, very different. And I think you're right. We need to be looking at that now, and how are they going to want to work when they enter the workforce, mm -hmm. and how do we respond to that? Yeah. And how do we engage them in that process? So I, I've sort of used the phrase power to the people. You know, and talking about making spaces more hackable and, and, and customizable and letting people move around the office, I think part of it comes from involving them in the design process, in the design of that ecosystem, so that they know what the rules are and they help shape those rules and they, they know then what they have the opportunity to do to mess with it. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't they be involved? You know, why wouldn't we want them to be involved? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think they're very assertive. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is great. I think, you know, <laughs> I remember 30 years ago, you, as a kid, you sit there and be quiet in the mm -hmm. classroom, at mm -hmm. the dinner table. And now I think this Generation Z coming up, they are active participants in every conversation yeah. at mm -hmm. school, at home, you know, on, in, you know, in music or in sports. Mm -hmm. and I think that's a good thing, too. It, it ought to lead to more diversity and better outcomes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so, too. Yeah. Well, that um, made me think of, so my my boss has a 10-year-old who comes into our office sometimes, and uh, I call her my intern, put her to work. <laughs> she, she doesn't have to do any jobs that are boring to her, so she will not get me coffee. She tells me to get my own. And uh, but So she has plenty of jobs that she loves to do, but one day she was watching me work, and I am the type of person who will get into work and not take a break at all. And so she started to notice, and she was like, you haven't stood up in like two and a half hours. You should probably get up and go for a walk. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, well, you should probably do this. No, like I was getting really frustrated. And then she was like, okay, do you have two minutes? And I was like, yeah. 
she shows me a YouTube video of someone cutting slime, which I had heard all my all of my friends who have kids are like, what is up with this slime thing, you know? And like, so she shows me this video and I was like, okay, why do you like this video? And she goes, because if you only have two minutes, it's very calming. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, have any, has anyone asked a kid before why they're obsessed with slime with these videos? And like, she's like, yeah, it's very calming. My friends and I, if we only have two minutes, we watch a cutting slime video. And so I was like, that's insane. Like, you know how to do so much more work than I ever did. I can just give her an assignment and she does it, you know, like doesn't need any kind of help on how to find that information and how to do it for me. But then, yeah, they, they also are understanding this health and wellness aspect of like, you have to get up. You can't work through your lunch break, you know, like. They know um, so much more. Yeah. They do. Yeah. <laughs> That's spot on. Yeah. yeah. The slime is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've never seen so much staying power. Yeah. In that trend. <laughs> There's a great YouTube video called Slime After Slime. Oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't show up in the podcast, but do you remember Cindy Lauper's Time After Time? Yeah. yeah. It's a family singing Slime After Slime. That song. <laughs> it's very, very real. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a riot. <laughs> well, is there, um, just to wrap up here, is there anything that we haven't gone over? I mean, this topic can go on forever, but um, is there anything that we haven't gone over that you think is really important um, for our readers to know about the workplace, what's happening, and where it's going. I I um I don't think so. I think I think the the themes we've hit on are are the ones that I think about the most and kind mm -hmm. of try to advocate for, which is much more user participation. So I have a provocative statement I make sometimes to to clients just to sort of get this conversation rolling is you know, the whole industry has been obsessed lately with change management, mm -hmm. and, and my take on it is we wouldn't need change management if we just let people participate in the design process. Mm -hmm. Sorry, would you define change management? So the change management is often, and I'll be a little judgy about it, okay. <laughs> but change management tends to be a conversation that, that, that happens as users are getting ready to be moved into a new space. And it's like, let's orient you to the new space. Let's tell you what the new rules are. Let's tell you why this is a good idea and mm. you know why we veered from the old status quo. And you're going to like it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's, I think when it's done really poorly, it's persuasion, mm. which mm -hmm. is kind of insulting, mm -hmm. if I can be even more judgy. <laughs> And instead, it's like if we involve them in the upfront process and they were part of the discussion around that design of that ecosystem and part of what, you know, what are you doing in your business and how does this whole thing play out and that's the conversation, then change of management is moot mm -hmm. because we've already, everybody's on the same page. Mm -hmm. Everybody's already been a part of the discussion to know where this thing is going. They've helped co-create this system we're now going to operate. They're the operators of the system. There's no need to have a persuasive conversation because mm -hmm. they were in it. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of my soapbox is, you know, power to the people. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I would agree. I, and I think there's other thing I would say, your readers and your sponsors and even your purpose does a great job of pushing for advancement, pushing for more. And I think that, that would be what I would add and encourage your readers 
and sponsors and your focus to be just to continue to shine the light on that. How do we continue to elevate the image? How do we continue to elevate the the purpose and how do we continue to press for better outcomes? Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's what I see in your publication and that's that's what what comes through to me and I think that is going to be really important for businesses globally in the US and for people that support this industry short and long term. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both so much. This has been so much fun <laughs> for us, too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little selfish here that the podcast also allows me to have these awesome, geeky conversations that I get excited about. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all again for joining us with this conversation with All Steel. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. So, Remember, please, to rate, review, and subscribe to the I Hear Design podcast so that you can always make sure that you are up to date on our latest episodes. And until next time, thanks so much. Mm -hmm.